rainbows. Lots of people love rainbows. A few weeks ago, we were at a cross-country meet, and we were waiting for the runners to pass by the spot where we were, and parents were all sitting there trying to catch our breath from having to run over uh, to that spot. And there was a double rainbow in the sky, and everybody commented on it. They're powerful. They're beautiful. Uh, Just last week, uh, Ron, one of our ushers, sent me this picture of a rainbow over Versluce Park. Uh, That was on Friday. Beautiful. Nurseries. We often decorate nurseries in rainbows. Uh, One of our staff members here had a birthday party for a child, and part of the decorations were rainbows because, well, we love rainbows. I even wrote a book, one of the books I wrote, has a rainbow on the cover of it. Rainbows are beautiful. They're powerful. But to be honest, when many of us hear rainbow or think of the sign rainbow, we actually associate it with a view of sexuality that is different than God's view of sexuality. And so this morning, as we think about the rainbow... It's important not to go with sort of how we feel or what the culture thinks or any of those things. We want to go back into Genesis when the rainbow is introduced in human history and hear what God has to say about this symbol that is still meant to speak to you and I today. So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 9. Genesis 9, if you don't have a Bible, we would love if you would use one of the ones provided in the rack in front of you. Genesis 9 is page 6, very early in the Bible. Genesis chapter 9, this is the last part of the story of Noah and the flood. In Genesis 6, we talked about Noah building the ark. In Genesis 7 and 8, we talked about the fact that once the ark was built, those who believed in God needed to go into the ark and then live in the ark to experience the blessings of God. Now Genesis 9, we find that after they come out of the ark, the first seven verses are really a recreation of Genesis 1 and 2. The whole world has been destroyed in the flood, And so in Genesis 9, God says to Noah and his wife, to his sons and their wives, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Recreate what was here before, except this time, there's one difference. God is giving to Noah and all his descendants something Adam didn't have, a covenant a promise. That promise is described in verse 8 and following. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. A covenant is an agreement, a contract, a promise. And this is the first covenant that God makes in human history. Verse 10, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, 
I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. The rainbow is designed by God as a sign of a covenant. Now the important thing to notice about this covenant is that sometimes when we talk about rainbows and we start talking about cultural aspects to rainbows or we start thinking about how this works in today's culture, we sometimes think of it as sort of an us versus them, that somehow who owns the rainbow. Let me show you from the scriptures it's quite clear that the rainbow does not belong to Christians alone. The rainbow is a sign of a covenant that God has made with every living human being. The rainbow is a gift from God to everybody, not just to believers. To people who don't even know about God, it's a gift from God to every living creature. And for us to think about rainbows in terms of sort of us versus them, is to miss what God is doing with this. In his kindness and in his mercy, he has sworn an oath never to destroy sinners again in a flood. And the rainbow is the promise to all that he will not do that again. Now I think it's really fascinating what happens after the covenant is given. After the rainbow is introduced, look at the story that closes the account of Noah and the flood. It's probably not what you and I would expect. Verse 18, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth, every single human being in this room and around the world is a descendant of Shem, Ham, or Japheth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, 
Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years. And then he died. Now we expect, hey, here's Noah. A righteous, blameless person. I mean, he's the one for whom God saved everything for. Everybody else is wicked except Noah. And what happens when Noah gets off the boat? He gets drunk. And he sins. Now, to be fair, nowhere has God said to this point in human history that getting drunk is a sin. That will come later. But just because it hasn't been stated yet that it's a sin doesn't mean it's not wrong. And we see that in this text because it has the same sign of sin that Adam and Eve had, which is nakedness. That in his drunken stupor, Noah becomes naked, and that is a sign of the shame that he has fallen short of what God wants for him. So please make no mistake about it. Noah has done something wrong. But the thing to note is this passage is not really about Noah's sin. That's not the primary focus. The primary focus is on Ham's sin. That's where the focus is, as well as on the righteous and good actions of Shem and Japheth. So while we want to clearly acknowledge that Noah did something wrong, the focus for us this morning is not on Noah and his sin, but on Ham, Shem, and Japheth. So what did Ham do wrong? Well, there's this really intriguing story in 2 Corinthians 28. And it's about a time much later in history when Israel and Judah are separated into two nations because of a civil war. Judah uh, is a nation who is walking away from the Lord and engaged in sinful behavior. And as a result, God brings Israel into battle with Judah and the Israelites conquer the people of Judah. After the battle, they are leading back the people that they have conquered. And it says that they have won great plunder and spoils. And as a sign of themselves as the conquering victors, the losing soldiers who remained alive have been stripped naked. And they have to walk without dignity uh, in slavery to the people of Israel. Well, a prophet comes along and he says to the leaders of Israel, what are you guys doing? He's like, do you really think that your nation is better than Judah's? God appointed you to judge Judah on his behalf, but you have gone too far. And so the prophet says to the nation, your sins are just as bad as theirs. What are you doing? And miraculously, the people of Israel listen. And the way they make amends is they take the plunder they have received and use it to clothe all those who were naked. This would have been kind and merciful. After all, what did God do for Adam and Eve after Adam and Eve sinned? He clothed them 
What is Ham's sin? It's a failure to show kindness and love and mercy. After all, what did Shem and Japheth do? They helped restore their father's dignity, clothing him in his nakedness. You see, the rainbow is a sign that although judging has been entrusted to God, he is choosing mercy and grace in the midst of the face of sin. What should have happened to Noah when he sinned is he should have been struck dead. I mean, here's the guy that we saved the whole world for, and the very first thing he does getting out of the ark is something disappointing to God. But God chooses not to strike Noah dead, which is what the sign of the rainbow is. And instead, Ham, who doesn't follow God's lead, gossips about his father and shows no kindness and no mercy. That's the opposite of what the rainbow is supposed to be about. Let me show you this same truth of what God is trying to say to us today through the image of a rainbow in two New Testament passages. I'd like you to turn to them with me if you're willing. The first is in Romans chapter one. That's page 911 in the church Bibles. Romans chapter one. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And for those of us who live in a world full of wickedness, there may be some inclination that in our hearts we're saying, amen. The wrath of God is being revealed. Finally, God's doing something. This is present tense. God's wrath is currently being revealed. And some of us, not out loud, but in the quiet of our hearts are saying, well, it's about time, God. It's about time you got after doing something about this. The passage goes on to begin to talk about specifically what some of those sins are that God is angry about. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Romans 1 could not be any more clear that homosexual sexual activity is a sin in God's eyes. And for those of us here who may believe that, we may be quietly, not out loud, saying in our hearts, Amen. I'm glad God finally said something about this. But keep going with me, verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips slanderers, 
God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And for those of us who may have been saying amen loudly in our heart, that amen may have gotten a little bit quieter because we think, well, disobey parents, we sometimes do that. Gossip, we sometimes do that. No love, no mercy. We may be saying amen, but it's a lot quieter. Verse 32, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And then comes one of the most unfortunate chapter breaks in the Bible. If we were reading this letter the way Paul wrote it, we wouldn't have stopped here because there were no chapter breaks. We would have just kept reading. Right into verse one. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Wait a second. Chapter one was all they, 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 they. Who's he talking about now? You, us, you, me. He's talking about us. Yes, Noah's sins are sins, but we're not talking about Noah's sins in Genesis 9. We're talking about Ham's. And God says, you, you and I, have no excuse when we pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. These things are all sins. All the things listed in Romans 1, they're all sin. And when God judges them, he's doing the right thing. But verse 3, but when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Ham might have thought, well, I didn't get drunk. That's his problem. Look at him. But God says, hey, look, Ham, where's your mercy? Where's your love? And when you and I do the same thing, not showing love, not showing mercy, Romans says, do you think you're going to escape God's judgment? But then watch verse 4. It is completely unexpected. It brings a smile to my face. Or do you? Show contempt for, wait, I thought we were talking about judgment. The riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead, who? You, us, to repentance. The good news is, is that you and I are often like Ham. We often see people who have committed sins, and we gossip about it or we talk about it and we don't do anything loving or kind to help them. But guess what? I've got good news. God's kindness, his forbearance, and his tolerance with us 
and with them is meant to lead everybody to repentance. That's what the rainbow is about. It's a sign of God's patience. It's a sign of God's tolerance. It's a sign of God's forbearance. It is not an annulment of sin. It's very clear God is judging sin today. Sexual sins, judgmental sins, lack of mercy, lack of love, gossiping, slandering, disobeying parents. God is well aware there is lots of sin going on. But the rainbow is a sign that God is choosing patience and kindness and tolerance as a way of bringing all of us to repentance. Second passage, 2 Peter 3. Second Peter 3, it's page 985. We looked at Romans 1 because often rainbow can be associated with sexual sins and we needed to see in Romans 1 that God acknowledges that there are sexual sins in this world but is encouraging us to leave judgment up to him and for us to engage in mercy and love and kindness for those who are struggling, whatever the sin may be. Second Peter 3, we're looking at this passage because it connects what we're talking about directly to Noah and his flood, but also the more important point about evangelism. Second Peter 3, verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. That's Genesis 1. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. That's Noah's flood. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. The rainbow is a sign that God has covenanted never to destroy the earth by water again, but there is coming an ultimate destruction of the ungodly, not by water, but far worse, by fire. But then watch verses 8 and 9. We say, okay, the judgment is coming. When's it coming? What's God waiting for? Does he not see all the wickedness in the world? Does he not see all of the sin in the world? All of the people scoffing who pretend God doesn't even exist? Why doesn't he do something about it? Verse eight, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with... That should say them, right? He's patient with them, the scoffers, the people who don't believe. Isn't that the people he's patient with? What does it say? He's patient with us, with you, and with me, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
God wants everybody to be saved. But his plan for saving them is to use us to show them kindness and mercy. His kindness and mercy. God is being patient, giving us the chance to be like Shem and Japheth. That instead of passing judgment on the sin, simply acknowledging, yes, that was wrong, but how do we show kindness and mercy? Because by doing so, it will proclaim the Lord's kindness and mercy that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes on Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. When you and I show kindness and mercy in the face of sin, it proclaims a God who is compassionate, gracious, loving, and kind. That's what a rainbow is the sign of. God's kindness, his compassion, and his mercy. So what should we take from this for us today? Let me suggest that the next time you see a rainbow in the sky or on a flag, that it be a reminder to you and to me that God is patient with our sins, that God is kind, that God is long-suffering, both with regards to sexual sins and to judgmentalism, that God is kind with gossipers and slanderers and those who disobey their parents and those who act just like Ham. No love and no mercy. And perhaps God has allowed there to be lots and lots of rainbows for us to see as a constant reminder that he's in charge of judging. Romans 1 says he's doing it right now. Today, all over the world, God is judging sin. Second Peter 3 says, there is future judgment coming as well. But the rainbow is a sign. We get to leave judgment up to God. And an encouragement for you and I to stop being like Ham, gossiping and pointing fingers at other people's sin. And we get the chance to be like Shem and Japheth. Acknowledging sin, but doing everything we can to restore dignity, to be a blessing, to offer grace and mercy, and so proclaim the love of God. When you see a rainbow, it's an opportunity to trust the Lord knows what he's doing. To trust in his character, to trust in his heart. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to a thousand generations, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Aren't you glad we serve such a kind God? Let's pray together.
Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.